Good morning, church. We come to a, bi- a time of Bible reading. Please take out your Bibles and turn to Job chapter 3. So you would have learned from chapters 1 and 2 that Job's been afflicted and he's suffering. And his three friends have come to be with him. And they sat with him for seven days and seven nights. So we begin here in chapter 3. But let me pray before I start. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. It is your truth. And um, Lord, we ask that you help us with your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, touch our hearts and our ears and our minds, and that we would be um, able to absorb what you have for us. And I pray that you would anoint the lips of Pastor Matt as he brings us your words and your teaching on this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 3 begins. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, A boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and dark shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle upon it. May May blackness overwhelm its light. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan, may its morning, morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the, the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with with rulers who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master." Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death and that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sign comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. This is the word of God.
All right, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. Um, we are going to be having a look at this fascinating little passage here in Job 3 in a moment. But, uh, hey, just wanted to remind you, if you do have your little booklet here, uh, now's a great time to grab that out. If you haven't gotten one of these before, we actually do have a bunch of spare down the back there, which you can grab. Because uh, down the back there, there's actually space to take some notes. Uh, and I think that is an excellent way just to keep your mind engaged with the Word and to be able to take notes down. You know, it's sort of thing that uh, you can keep stashed away somewhere, uh, that you can come, you know, when you're reading Job again sometime in five years' time, ten years' time, you'll be able to grab these out and remember some of the things that you learn about during the course of this series. So grab one of those. There's actually even some pens down the back there if you want to take some notes, um, some spare Bibles too if you need. Uh, great time to go and grab that. Now, hey, last week uh, when we launched, uh, we saw how Job responded with this phenomenal amount of grace in the midst of extreme suffering. Uh, now, last week I actually said that, hey, if you've got questions about the passage, you can actually send that in to us and we'll try to answer that along the way. Now, we actually did get a really good question during the week, which I thought, hey, let's, why don't we just actually even answer that now this week while it's still fresh in our minds? Uh, so here's the question. What is the opening uh, scene telling us about God in the heavenly place? places, is there a type of council? Hey, I think this is a great question. It's coming obviously straight from Job chapters 1 and 2, where God has a conversation with Satan, and Satan says, hey, you know, this righteous guy, Job, he only really worships you, and he's only so godly because of all the good blessings that you give him. Uh, and so God then uh, actually allows Satan to go and uh, inflict some suffering on Job to see what happens. Now, I think it's a really fascinating question, and it's a fascinating thing about, you know, this scene in which uh, you know, God's having this conversation with Satan. Now, I actually think that there's not as much you can take from this about how, uh, how heaven looks and how God works as you might firstly imagine. Now, the reason I say that is because Job is not ultimately about how God makes decisions um, up there in his universe. Ultimately, Job, the mess, part of the big message of Job is that we humans cannot know everything, all the factors that God is thinking about as he is planning and as he is uh, making things happen in, in our world. And that there's, you know, Job, as he suffers, he doesn't know the conversation that's gone on in heaven. And so almost the point of Job is to say that actually we can't know everything that happens. Is there counsel, angels, Satan, everything that happens up there? We can't know. We get little snapshots here in Job, but I'd actually say, you know, you might get a little bit more information if you look to Revelation and other parts of the Bible than to try and develop a whole kind of a theology of heaven from Job itself. So uh, that's probably all I could say um, about this. Uh, so yes, we learned some things, but let's not try to go overboard in terms of trying to glean stuff out of Job 1 and 2. Uh, as I said last week, you know, some scholars even take Job to be something of a wisdom thought experiment. You know, so imagine if, if this happened uh, to make some points about uh, our, us and our experience of, of life and suffering in this world. So, uh, but great question. Uh, if you do got other questions, you can jump to our Facebook group. There is a, a little Slido link there or also under the podcast and, and sermon section on the website, uh, there's a link to the, the question and answer bit there. All right. Well, we're going to be moving on to Job 3 in a moment. Uh, now, uh, you know, you heard it earlier as we were reading it together. This is, this is a really painful look into someone's psyche, his emotional state, and it's not real rosy. 
Now, I don't know if you were able to kind of come up with some really good moments, some sad moments uh, in books, TV, that sort of thing, uh, in movies, uh, but I was just reflecting about this, how really, even when sad things happen in our world, and even when they happen in our stories, we don't tend to really dwell very much on some of those sad moments. In fact, there's probably, there's probably sad moments that have happened. I've watched movies recently where uh, superheroes have, you know, they've watched their father or their brother or sister die or even, you know, they've been actually involved in that process in some way. And they're sad for a moment, but they move on very quickly. But I was trying to think of a real properly sad character, and uh, this is the one I could think of, uh, and uh, this is a, a character from a kid's book and kid's TV series of all, and his name is... Eeyore. Now, who knows Eeyore? Is anyone familiar with Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Okay, a few of us, a few of us. Now, uh, Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, he's, he's a real kind of down-on-himself character, all right? Sort of a, in a lovable way, but he's always very down on himself. I mean, here's some of the things from some of the books. Um, this is something he says. Oh, this is Piglet actually speaking to him initially. He says, I didn't notice you were there. That's all right, Eeyore said as he sat down. Nobody ever does. Oh, yeah, that's a real, oh, kind of moment, you know. Here's another one. He says, don't worry about me. Go and enjoy yourself. I'll stay here and be miserable. Oh. And one more. He says, I never get my hopes up, so I never get let down. Now, this is kind of this Eeyore character in a kid's book. Uh, all you want to do is kind of just give Eeyore a big cuddle and try to make him feel better. But all the way through the series, he's this, he is, I mean, he is, I reckon, he is actually clinically depressed. Like, this is like the depiction in a kid's book of someone who is truly deeply depressed. But as I got thinking about this, like, you don't see Eeyore. Eeyore's not the kind of character you see in our movies and our TV shows very much. Uh, we, do, we don't do sad very well. Well, friends, today we are actually going to be entering into Job's sadness, okay? See, last week we saw how Job loses everything. Uh, he loses his riches, his servants, his children. He doesn't know why. Uh, he has no knowledge of what's gone on in the heavenly courts. Right? And we, last week we saw how he, he really responds actually quite admirably to, to all that goes on. And just note to the tech guys, I'm just trying to get that slide to flick through. Yep, there we go. All right, so uh, we get to the end of uh, chapter 2, and Job's been afflicted from head to toe. So I'll just quickly run us through this, because uh, we didn't get to this last week. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores for the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. What happens next is his friends arrive, and when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. So you can kind of get the scene. Here is someone in the depths of suffering, of pain, of torment, And uh, if you've got your Bibles there, come with me to Job chapter 3 now, and let's just kind of read and and, and kind of really get ourselves into Job's head for a moment. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. 
may gloom and utter darkness claim it once more, may a cloud settle over it, may blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it, may it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered into any of the months. May that night be barren, may no shout of joy be heard in it, may those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan, may its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. See, as Job cries out, he doesn't curse God, he curses his very existence instead. Now, um, I don't know about how you go reading poetry, but uh, the next 37, 38 chapters of Job is all poetry, a bit like this. And uh, you get a sense in which Job is saying, though, don't you? That, that Job is he's really cursing the day of his birth, that he wishes that, that he was never born. Now, uh, it's a kind of language, this is the language of the heart, isn't it? This is what poetry does. It brings out the emotions, the, the, the language of the heart. And Job sits here depressed, wishing that he was dead, wishing that, he, that he, he, he wasn't born so that he wouldn't have to go through what he's going through right now. You know, you can sense the anguish, the devastation, the heartbreaking words that he utters here. And the way he does it is interesting, isn't it? Now, you know, I haven't kind of uh, experienced childbirth myself, which you might be surprised to know. I mean, unless you include my own birth, which was you know, a little while ago, I don't quite remember. But I have been there at that moment. And at that moment, there is a moment that is a moment of joy, that even as you've been through hours of labour, you know, the oxytocin kicks in and, and you're just happy that this baby has arrived and everyone in the room is happy as well. And so you see what Job does. He kind of inverts all of those things. That a moment that should be exciting and a moment of joy might turn to darkness for him. Might it be as though you know, he wishes that this glorious day of, of one's birth might be turned to darkness because of what he's going through now. See verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? This is someone who wishes that they died at their birth to save them from the suffering that was to come for himself. You see, he would rather be lying down in the grave, just like the kings and princes and the rich ones of this world, than to be going through what he's going through now. In fact, I actually think that this is the closest the Bible gets to representing someone with suicidal thoughts. Now, the Bible actually acknowledges that there is a pain that makes you wish that you weren't alive. And that's what Job's experiencing that here. Now, I just want to say, if, you're, if this is actually cutting a bit close to bone for you, that maybe actually this is, describes something of what you're going through right now, I just want to say actually that I'm really sorry that that's part of your experience. In fact, that's actually, uh, I want to say a few things about that because that is hard. That is tough. And it's not actually that uncommon. And I'll say a few quick things because I actually think that you don't need to try and live in denial of it, even as a Christian. We don't need to try and numb that pain, run away from it. Or, and it's not a representation of us as though we're weak or flawed or, or just crazy in some way. 
You see, if a righteous man like Job can actually go and walk through that experience, that deep darkness of despair, well, actually, I think anyone can. And you're certainly not in the world, uh, you're certainly not alone in the world with that. And actually, what's helpful about what Job's going through here is the way in which he expresses it. He expresses it. You see, I think actually the, the Bible tells us that God knows what you're going through, and he wants to listen and hear that. In fact, I think Alexa kind of described that a little bit in the video there as well. Now, you might not use poetry and flowery kind of language to, to express that, but in your own way, you can bring that to God, and he will hear you. In fact, you can even express that to others. And actually, my hope here at CPE is that actually we would know that it's okay to not be okay but it's, a, it's not okay just to kind of stay there and to, to, to kind of bear that alone. As a church, we actually want to walk with you in that. And in fact, we're actually doing that right now with a bunch of people. Now, I think actually the Bible has a lot to say about expressing pain. You see, I think actually it's quite interesting that even here in Job 3, that Job himself, in the depths of his despair, he can't avoid God. See, I think actually suffering has this way of snapping us out of the normal, ordinary life and all the business and distractions that we have and actually turns us. It kind of focuses our attention and it turns us to the things that are of ultimate importance. See, people, what do they do in their suffering? They turn to their loved ones for comfort and they turn to God for answers. Now, I want to give you a bit of a sneak peek. We're going to be keep following Job uh, as he responds uh, through the whole book of Job. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a sneak peek of what's to come because Job continues his lament all the way through the book. Uh, and what he can't avoid, though, is that he can't avoid encountering God. He keeps coming back to God. He keeps asking, well, oh, God, where are you? Why won't you answer me? Why won't you give me a chance to defend myself? Job 29 Here's what he says. How long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. This is someone gone... I just don't know where God is. I can't feel him. I feel like I'm struggling to even talk to him. Job 30 says this, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. Now, I don't know about you, but I initially found myself really surprised at Job's complaints. So he's not just crying out to God. Did you see Job's even complaining about God to God? Did you notice that? Now, I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because that does back up that point that actually God is willing and wants to hear our complaints, even if our complaints are about God himself. In fact, as I've, tried, as I've kind of been thinking more and more about this, um, I've, and I've been doing some reading about this, I've realized that actually there are large parts of Scripture that are devoted 
to hearing our complaints. And yes, even our complaints about God. Now, there's a whole category called biblical lament. Biblical lament, okay? And that's what we're going to be talking a lot about today because, you know, if you've ever read the Psalms, uh, about a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. They're Psalms of complaint, of bringing things to God, about all the brokenness about the world, about the brokenness in one's own life, uh, cries about violence and oppression and a whole bunch of other things. Now, I am drawing quite a, a lot on this book. It's called Deep Clouds, uh, sorry, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Uh, fantastic book. Uh, we're hoping actually to be able to review that sometime this week so you can uh, find out a little bit more about that. But uh, the definition of lament comes from this book um, by Mark Vergrove. Uh, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Okay, let me just say it again. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. So let me unpack that. You see, the cries that we see in Scripture, the cries that Job is going through right now, is that we're living in the space between the reality of our suffering and our pain in this world and the, the promises of God as he has promised his love and his mercy, his blessing, his goodness on us. And so lament fills this gap between those two things. And I think that's actually really helpful. You see, we live in a world of brokenness, of disappointment. Uh, You know, sometimes we're responsible for our own misery through our sin. But sometimes we just experience pain and suffering because of the effects of this broken world that we live in. And many of us have experienced that in different ways even recently. But then there's this space, because in the, in the words of, of the gospel, we see God's promises, his promises of salvation, forgiveness, of goodness, his love, his blessing, of hope. And so we live in this tension between those two poles of my lived experience in which there is pain and disappointment and, and what God has promised for us, which is good. Now, I was trying to think, you know, what's similar in our just general experience of life? And maybe it's a sort of a similar thing to what we might call venting, right? Venting, you know, it's the kind of thing that maybe there's something frustrating that's happened at work, and so you might really want to vent that out to, to a co-worker, or, you know, you get home and, and to your spouse, you just want to vent about your day, your day with the kids, or your day about stuff that's gone on during your day. Now, venting, that can be a positive or a negative thing, you know, depending on the way in which you do it and who you're venting to and that sort of thing. Uh, but there is something about just needing to get that out, isn't there? And I think actually we find that often a profoundly helpful experience. And so biblical lament is a bit like that. It's a way of uh, expressing the pain and the anguish that we feel in this broken world, but we express it in a way that helps to turn our eyes to the promises of God. Right? It's bridging the gap between the two. It's actually taking that pain and then looking to and turning to God in our faith and trust in his promises. Now, I'm going to suggest that we're actually we're not very good at this. I actually think that we're not good at this. You know, I think sometimes uh, we have a bit of a view about the world in which uh, we should all be kind of healthy and happy and successful and optimistic about the world. And, uh, you know, I think everything in marketing and all the messages there about, you know, if you just had this phone, these clothes, this holiday, then your life would just be full of joy and happiness, just like these people in, it, in our ads. And so we got to get this message, this subliminal message that that's what life's about. 
But actually, I think that uh, when we do that, we're ignoring a big part of who we are and about our emotional state by not being able to, to express that hardship. Uh, yeah. So I think we also tend to minimise loss and tragedy uh, instead of vocalising this. Uh, actually, I'll come back to this slide in a moment. But um, uh, it was really interesting because I was just reflecting on this this week and I was reading about how, uh, you know, mourning is expressed in lots of different ways in different cultures. Uh, I don't know if, if you've ever heard about the role of a professional mourner of a professional mourner. Now, what these people do is that they're actually paid to go and attend funerals and to go and, and, and actually help someone through that mourning process. You know, sometimes they're paid to literally go and, and, and weep and sob with someone who is hurting and, and, is, and is at a funeral. Or, or sometimes they're there to kind of uh, bring a song or bring a lament actually into that funeral space. Now, I haven't actually been to a funeral with professional mourners, but I am told that actually some people found, find that a profoundly helpful thing. It actually helps you through the mourning process. Because there is an aspect in which grief and loss is actually a part of life. And when we embrace it, when we enter into it, when we can express it and lament it, that actually enlarges our soul and can enlarge our trust in God. Because I think actually Scripture itself gives us a rich reservoir of grace and mercy that God offers us in those dark moments. And so, you know, uh, in this, this book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he talks about the four different elements of a biblical lament. And that is, number one, an address to God. Number two, a complaint. Number three, a request. And number four, it's an expression of trust and or praise. You know, summarized as turn, complain, ask, trust. And again, I don't know about you, but I've always been taught about some of those elements in prayer, about praising God for who he is, thanking him and bringing my request to God. But I actually think lament brings another element into that, the element of complaint, that actually, uh, that actually I can bring my complaints to God. I can even bring my complaints about God to God. And that actually, as I pray through, even through the, my messy struggles and my questions, that that is an, in, in itself an act of faith. But I do think that we avoid lament for a few reasons, right? I think we do accept that secular idea that we've always got to be happy. And I also think that, um, that with negative emotions, sadness and despair, we, we avoid it. We don't see it conveyed on TV very much. You often found that actually also people are afraid to be that vulnerable, to be that honest, that open. Right? There is something just exposing about that because it exposes my, my, uh, my, my, my lack of sufficiency to kind of deal with everything, that actually I, I would be vulnerable like that. And I think often we just don't have the language of it, Right? that we're taught maybe we shouldn't ever complain, that we always just got to grin and bear the tough stuff in life. Now, the book actually goes on and also explains actually some of the things that happens when we don't lament, right? See, often when we don't take the time to really mourn and cry and, and just be sad, that sometimes that actually comes out in really unhelpful ways down the track. Or something far worse, that we just put ourselves through silent despair. Right? Sometimes even it's giving God the silent treatment. 
Right? Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear, and nothing ever is going to change. People who do this stop praying, they give up. See, can you see that to pray in pain, to express that pain, even as it's messy, even as we might bring hard questions, hard things to God, that that's actually an act of faith. That it's actually act, you know, we could just go towards a silent despair, but in fact we are choosing to bring that to God. You see, I actually think turning to prayer in lament might actually be, in the course of our life, one of the most deepest and most costly demonstrations of our belief and our trust in God. See, I'm sure you know that not only the pain or suffering is a struggle, but sometimes God just seems really remote. And we can kind of really take that to heart and then just turn away from God. But actually, God calls us into that moment. In fact, maybe we might have the deepest experience of God as we turn to him and we bring our complaints and our laments to God. But I'll highlight one other aspect because there is an aspect that's there uh, there in chapter 2 where Job's friends turn up and they lament with him. It's probably maybe the only good thing that the friends do for Job in the book of Job, but they actually, they absolutely turn up and they mourn and they lament with him. All right? So when Job's three friends... Uh, this is chapter 2, verse 11. Here we go. Uh, when Job's three friends, uh, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Narmathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So I think actually this is a really lovely moment where the friends just come and they just sit and they mourn. They don't even say anything, but they are there with Job. And it's a perfect example of how lament is actually a community activity. It's something that we can do together. Well, from here, Job really goes on, he goes on like, this is like a 39 chapter a journey through lament, all the way through to chapter 42. Uh, and I say Job has mo- lots of moments along the way. He's got low moments where he just out and out accuses God of stuff. Uh, he has high moments where he commits himself to God. But at the long last, at the very end of the book, Job does come to God with a word of, of faith and repentance. Here it is, Job's faith. He finishes with, he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be going on that journey as we head uh, through Job's laments. We hear from Job's friends as well as they try to explain what's happened to him. But it did want to actually take us to a moment even further into the future. See, there was a moment of lament that was the ultimate picture of cry and complaint. A lament that actually shows that, I think, suffering and lament is at the heart of the Christian story. And I'm going to take you to the moment where Jesus himself is on the cross. And as he, as he gazes into heaven, he has this to say, his famous words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
That is, Jesus, in his deepest, darkest moment, he cries out of the anguish of his heart. And what does he say to God? It's an expression of his intense distress and trauma, his sense of abandonment. Now, Jesus says this, actually, as a quote from this psalm. But actually, he isn't just pulling this out of nowhere. He's actually pointing us to one of the psalms of lament. You see, what is, how does Psalm 22 express it? It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. See, Jesus is totally taking on these words and expressing them, expressing them back to God. But as the psalm goes on, he moves from his anguish, from his sense of abandonment, to his praise and his trust in God. Verse 22, he says this, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. See, church, this is the journey of faith in the midst of suffering. To go from the pain to the promise and to even to praise that Jesus in his moment didn't hold back his cries of anguish. That even when Jesus, I imagine he didn't have the words to express it himself, he would instead just recite this psalm. There was an example of lament. See, see, friends, when we, when we rehearse that journey, when we go on that same journey of crying, of complaint, and then moving towards trust through our lament, we are, in fact, following in Jesus' very footsteps. Now, I was at a funeral recently. In fact, I know a bunch of you were there too. And I was really encouraged, actually, to see people coming together, gathering together to mourn and to be around the person who'd, who'd lost their mum. I think it's a great example of community lament. In fact, in my life group this week, we heard the story of a traumatic event that actually brought people together. And uh, this person spoke about how the gospel was spoken to her by others, and it really helped her to get back on track. But I just want to say that actually lament doesn't have to be reserved for those big moments. The big moments where you know, someone has died or, or there's been some, a big life moment. But actually, we can do this in our daily lives. We can present all of the normal daily griefs that we have and bring them to God. Maybe there's been a misunderstanding with a friend or a family member or someone at church that's caused hurt. When your child's behaviour is just plain embarrassing, when your marks aren't as good as, they, as you'd hoped or, uh, or cold or flu has knocked you around. When a conflict in marriage disappoints you, when you're not invited to a wedding or to a birthday, or your baby just won't sleep through the night. Let lament do its work, even in the ordinary moments of life. Express your complaints to God and redirect your heart to trust and to praise. See, I think the Bible actually presents two ways of suffering. Two different ways to suffer. In the secular world, you know what? Suffering's got no meaning. It's ultimately it's painful, it's unavoidable, but ultimately it doesn't have a greater purpose. So our response is to hide, minimize it, numb it with alcohol, drugs, television, whatever. We do anything 
but to enter into it. But you know, church, the Christian who understands God's purpose in pain and suffering is actually empowered to sit in the midst of it. Our pain, others' pain, and instead, looking forward in faith, we can taste the coming joy. We can look forward to God's promises of the eternity that we have with him. You see, there is a purpose to our suffering. And when we face it rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. See, friends, that's the power of lament. That's the power of what it can do when you understand that suffering and when we can rightly express that to God and enter into it. Great little quote there. You know, right now, I'm only going to give you a moment. Now, there in in the notes section of your booklet, there is actually space just to write something down, something that you've learned, something that you've taken away from today. I'm going to give you a moment for that uh, and to reflect on that for a moment, and then I'll explain what we're going to do after that. So let me give you a few seconds just to do that. Right, let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Father God, Lord, we do lament the state of this world. We know the pain and suffering. Some of us know that personally right now. Father, when we look upon our world, we look upon the wars, war in Ukraine, Lord, we look upon the sickness amidst us, when we hear about the death of loved ones, we hear about this, the struggles with depression and anxiety. Father, we do lament these things. Lord, we cry out to you. Father, we know that we are powerless in the face of these things. But Father, we turn to the cross. Might you turn our hearts to Jesus. Might we cry out with the same anguish that he cries out with. And might we look in hope and trust in the same way that he did too. And Father, for those who are suffering deeply right now, we want to lift them up to you. Father, might you be their comfort. Might you show your presence to them. Lord, might we get alongside them. Might we lament and mourn and go through that suffering and anguish together. Lord, we thank you for your word that encourages us and gives us the words to do that, even when we don't have the words ourselves. We might even turn to your words, your words of lament and suffering and comfort. And Father, might we know more deeply your power for us in the midst of that suffering and pain. Amen. Right, well, church, for our reflection today, um, our music team has actually put together a bit of a song, an item for us to reflect on. Uh, it's actually the words uh, come from Psalm 44, which is one of those psalms of lament. And so uh, that's a chance for us just to sit and reflect quietly, and we can read along with the words. Uh, but let's just take that moment now to reflect 